Father, uh, we just give this time to you. Uh, our children are precious to us. Our grandchildren are precious to us. And it, it just exasperates us sometimes to, to learn some of the things that are being required um, of, of uh, public schools and, and the impact that that potentially can have in the lives of children. And so, Lord, we, we just give this time to you and we ask that uh, you bless Sean as he presents the material uh, that he, he has to share as we have an opportunity for questions and answers afterward. And uh, we just ask, Lord, that you'd use this uh, for the, the, the well-being of our children and for the glory of your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's welcome Sean. Well, good evening, Bayside Chapel. Thank you for having me again this evening. It is great to be here. We have a wonderful church, wonderful pastor. I've known Pastor Dave for quite a few years, and as I was just speaking to him before the event started, I, I know you guys are growing and always launching new campuses and sites, and amazing to see the work that God is doing here in Barnegat and beyond really, uh, the work of the gospel that's happening here in Southern Ocean County, and of course, even now, more parts of Ocean County as the church continues to flourish and to grow and send people out. So that's just wonderful. Uh, I'm going to share information tonight about what's going on in public schools. I was the director of Family Policy Alliance, as Pastor Dave said, the past three years. And when I see stuff in the newspaper, in the media, how they kind of uh, frame certain information, um, I guess, uh, you know, report on certain information. They don't always do it very accurately because whatever the reason is, whether it's their bias or they're just uninformed, a lot of times they leave out certain information or they kind of maybe put it under, you know, uh, a covering so they focus on one to distract you and not actually talk about the other issues that are going on. And so parents oftentimes are confused on what's going on in public schools and they want to know the truth. And let me just say up front, some of the material I'm going to present, obviously, is going to be a little bit awkward because of the, uh, the detailed information I have to give you. I apologize in advance for having to say certain words or put up on the screen certain words. We're not going to show anything graphic tonight, obviously. Uh, but even the, the, the fact that we're having this discussion could be awkward or you know, even inappropriate sometimes. But imagine if it's awkward for us sitting here as adults discussing this and learning about what's going on. Imagine the 12-year-old in the classroom, or the 10-year-old, or as we're going on more and more, the 7, the 5-year-old. And so we have to be able to discuss this and then go home and uh, parent our children well with this information. So tonight I want to talk about parental rights in education, because even though I'm going to give you a whole bunch of information to begin with, I am going to give you some action steps at the end of what you can do as a parent with the local school system and even with your legislators, but ultimately at the local level. And then we'll have some Q&A uh, at the very end. So let's just uh, change the slide here. Dr. Albert Moeller said this. He's a uh, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you control the curriculum, if you control the education system, if you control the schools, you eventually control the direction of the culture. So we do realize ultimately what the curriculum is all about. It's just simply not about academics, and we'll see more and more as we dig into, into tonight. It's really not about academic standards or fact-based learning. It really is pushing forth uh, a futuristic goal of changing the way our culture perceives and understands sex and gender. And if any other belief system outside of their postmodern view of sex and gender, like the biblical belief system, or for that matter, even Judaism and, and, and Islam, any other monotheistic moral belief system, anything outside of the postmodern belief system, 
of this 21st century is completely shamed and stigmatized and will be more and more because of what children are learning in school. So there's really four issues in public education. Now we're gonna dig into each one individually in a moment, but I wanna show this slide very clearly. There's four different issues. So when people say, well, the LGBTQ curriculum is this, or that's not in there, or that's not true, and I see this all the time in the media. Well, they may be talking about column one, and we'll discuss this in detail, the LGBTQ curriculum, the contributions curriculum, but they're leaving out the other issues, like the language arts books that are assigned to read in certain classes or even just available in the school library. So you'll never know your child has access to it. It's not on a recommended reading list. It's not on a required reading list, but it is accessible in the school library. That's different than the learning standards for health class, for sex ed, which of course is different than the new diversity lessons that have just been passed this year in March 2021, signed into law, but had not even started yet. Even as of today, has not started yet in school districts here in New Jersey. So oftentimes when the remedia reports on it, they kind of lump into one curriculum and focus on the first column only, which even that we'll find out in a moment is still troubling, but they leave out the other three parts that are also more troubling and problematic to parents uh, with young children in schools. So we're gonna break them down you know, one by one in a moment. Just so you realize there is an opt-out as there always has been for decades for health class. So sex ed and health class, there's an opt-out for that. Then again, even though your child might be opted out of it, the very fact that their peers are being introduced to certain sexual acts that even as of today cannot be taught to seniors in high school. It wouldn't be legal. But as of next year, it's gonna be introduced into middle school. We'll get that in a moment. But there's an opt-out for that. The other materials, there is no opt-out, but you do have some rights as a parent. So we'll get to that in a moment. So let's dig now into the first column, the LGBTQ curriculum that was passed into law about two years ago. Uh, there was a pilot program about a year and a half ago, and now most school districts, I know Barnegat is one of them, because I went on the website and I've seen the, the, the lessons, so Barnegat is definitely one of them that is fulfilling this curriculum law mandate that the state passed. So uh, we're the only state in the nation that requires this type of material in multiple subjects. So when you hear stuff like California or Illinois or the city of Washington, D.C., they also have LGBTQ curriculum. They do, but it's limited to social studies. It's limited to history. In our curriculum law, originally when it, when it was drafted by the state legislators, it was limited to social studies. But then it was amended, and that was removed from the law, and instead the words were appropriate were now inserted into the law, so you can go into more subjects than just social studies. Also in the first draft of the law, it said that the contributions that are taught must be uh, accurately portray the individuals and the contributions. They must be accurately portraying what they did. That was also removed from the law. And instead the words inclusive material was inserted into the law. That means only positive and affirming information about lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people and, and what they've done can be included. Can't see anything negative. So let's say for a fact, if we're learning about our founding fathers, we'll learn their idea of freedom and the Constitution, Declaration, what they've done for this country. We'll also learn maybe some inconsistencies on equality and freedom when it comes to slavery, but we learn the good and the bad. When it comes to LGBTQ contributions, you can't learn anything of the bad. It has to be positive and affirming only 
So that way the students in the classroom have only have one view of the individual. And again, we'll see in a moment, it's, it's beyond contributions. But right there you can see how the law is not written as an academic history contributions law. It's written to really push a certain narrative in the classroom. And then when these kids discuss this information, they have to come out, and I've seen the lessons from Garden State Equality, they have to come out and actually really affirm and adopt this new sexual ethic in, in the classroom environment. If not, they're going to be stigmatized. Because when they have these lessons, even about a scientist named Francis Bacon, you hear of Francis Bacon, he invented the scientific method. Well, they're claiming that he was gay. And in his, in his lesson about Francis Bacon as a gay scientist, they begin to discuss what it means to be gay in society. And how do you feel about gay people in society? And obviously you have to now discuss your sexual beliefs, your sexual values in the classroom under history contributions. So you can see real fast, it's not about facts or academic history. Next slide. So Garden State Equality did have a pilot program. To be clear, no school district has to use Garden State Equality's program. It was a pilot program, now it's no longer a pilot program. Now there's actual lessons online that you can go see. I'll email the link to Pastor Dave or Pastor James and make it available. You can download these lessons yourself. They're now available to schools to use. Because when the state mandated the LGBTQ curriculum, it was an unfunded mandate, meaning they put an obligation on local school districts to teach material, to buy textbooks, to develop lessons, but gave them no money to do that. And so a lot of school districts who don't have the extra budget available to develop their own curriculum are going to find free curriculum, which was made by Garden State Equality for schools to use, download for free, and to fulfill the law and the learning standards. So again, no one has to use it. I would put pressure at the local level not to use their material, uh, but many school districts will do that. So in the pilot program for eighth graders, you can see under contributions or under history curriculum, they're going to dismantle and confront the patriarchy, hypermasculinity, and homophobia. How does dismantling and confronting something have to do with learning about the facts of history? I'm unsure. But the very fact they want to confront the patriarchy. Now, we think normally when we see that we're the patriarchy, it means like male leadership. But in their mind, it's the very idea that there's any differences between males and females. They're working for a genderless society. So they think those differences of male and female, okay, that was made up as a social construct so males can oppress females, and so any differences that we might have, either physically or, or, or anything else, that's all made up in their mind, and we should have a genderless society, and if you think men and women are different, that's the patriarchy, want to dismantle and confront that belief system. Then you have hypermasculinity. That means like a strong man. So just Google hypermasculinity on Google, and you'll see like Clint Eastwood, Sylvester Stallone, okay, Robert De Niro, things of that nature will come up as examples of hypermasculinity. Uh, if you think men should be strong, they want to confront and dismantle that belief. And then the classic one, homophobia. And again, the traditional definition would be you know, someone who's afraid of, or again, there's a twist of it, you know, hateful towards someone who's LGBTQ. Uh, that's not what they're talking about. They're saying if you think that a man and woman marriage is what's best for society, that's homophobic. So when they say, we want to dismantle and confront the idea of a man and a marriage, they're really saying we want to confront and dismantle the biblical family. And we will teach eighth graders that the idea of a male-female family as what's best for society 
is bigoted and hurtful and harmful. So the biggest challenge we're going to have as Christians in the 21st century is not facts of evolution, which was dealt with in the 20th century, and Christianity won that argument. It's now going to be dealt upon, is Christianity morally good or morally evil? And they're framing the narrative that Christianity is morally harmful. That the gospel is harmful because the idea of sin is harmful. And so we tend to change that narrative in the classroom. That's concerning. Again, all under contributions. Then students will connect and consider intersectionality. That's a political theory. We can't get into it tonight. But the idea of oppressed groups oppressing one another, and if you're this group or that group or a little bit of this group, a little bit of that group, who's oppressing who in society, that's part of the contributions curriculum. And they bring up in this curriculum white colonialism, white supremacy, capitalism is oppressive. And so, again, you've seen a lot of critical theory in the LGBTQ contributions curriculum. Then, of course, the use of uh, uh, inclusive language and transgender pronouns. So, again, once you teach them how to think, you begin to teach them how to speak. You begin to really control how they see society and what words they're allowed to use. Even to the very point where Spanish, where world languages such as Spanish and Italian, where they begin to change world languages, the gender lexicon, because in Spanish, the nouns end in O and A for masculine and feminine. Well, they say that's discriminatory because you're reinforcing the gender binary, the male-female gender binary, which to them is a social construct. It's not real. And so they say Spanish is actually a discriminatory language, and they actually teach students to use E or X at the end of the words to take away the gender binary. They say, now, you can't always do this, students. I've seen the lesson. But when you can, at all times, please try to use more inclusive Spanish language. They're literally changing, changing world languages to fit their ideology. Actually, if you go on Google and just kind of try to find videos, you can see videos, not from Garden State Equality, but other organizations teaching them, teaching you, the viewer, how Spanish should be changed to be more inclusive and less discriminatory. Again, all of this now is covered under what they were told, what we were told was history contributions. So the, last, so the next time someone says, well, what, is, what problem do you have with teaching facts about people who are, you know, identify as gay or lesbian or, or, tr- or transgender? Well, let's be clear. This is not about facts. There's nothing to do with facts over here. This is actually changing an ideology, imposing a belief system in the classroom, and shaming and stigmatizing the students who don't agree or affirm that belief system among their peers. And that's what's so dangerous. Next slide. So now we're going to go into the diversity lessons. Okay, that was the other column. Uh, that, it was just signed into law right this year, March 2021. You can change the slide. When it was first drafted, these diversity lessons, which includes transgender diversity, okay, sexual orientation, now they're, now they're literally saying it's not about history. Now they're literally saying it's about this narrative. Uh, it was first for high school. That's the original draft last year. And then in the Senate Education Committee, they changed it to lower it to kindergarten. And again, put it where appropriate. So originally when it was first drafted, these diversity lessons for transgenderism, sexual orientation, was high school only and only in health class, which there's an opt-out for. But it was changed in the Senate Education Committee to go down to kindergarten and make it where appropriate. Now, I was in that committee hearing in the, in the Senate, in their, uh, their education committee. It was through Zoom because COVID already hit at this point. It was November of last year. So we were in, in Zoom testifying this committee. And a whole bunch of parents got on Zoom and they 
began to explain to the Senate Education Chair and the different legislators in this committee hearing about why they object this curriculum. Now, at the end, one of the state senators, uh, his name is Mike Doherty, up in Northwest Jersey, he came on and really appreciated the comments from the parents and said he also, as a senator, objects this material in the classroom because these parents have the right to raise their children according to their belief system. But the Senate Education Chairwoman, her name is Senator Teresa Ruiz from Nork, she leads the committee. She's in charge of it. As the Senator Doherty is speaking up for the parents, you know, protecting the parents, uh, uh, you know, giving them support as a senator, hey, I agree with these parents' position, the Senate Education Committee chairwoman said, shut his microphone off, shut it off, shut it off. And they literally muted the state senator because he was defending us. He was defending us. And the state chairwoman, Theresa Uwe, as a senator, said, you're all coming from a place of hate. All coming from a place of hate. So the next day, I mean, I didn't know at the time when I made this appointment, actually the next day I had an appointment with her policy director about this information. I made that six weeks earlier. So I began to speak to the policy director, and I told her, and this conversation happened a dozen times later with different senators over the next six to eight months. I said, guys, let's make the classrooms more diverse. Let's tell high school students, you want to make it diverse? Okay, let's have a conversation about diversity. Let's tell high school students there are different sexual beliefs in society. There are some people, because of their religion, their culture, their family background, they believe gender is biological and binary and fixed that conception. That's what I believe. And they believe the act of sex is reserved for a man and a woman in a covenant relationship, a marriage. That's what I believe. That's a belief system about sex and gender. There are some people who believe that gender is fluid on a spectrum. And it's historically assigned that birth. And they believe that every act of sex is permissible and natural and normal and acceptable as long as there is consent. When there is consent. It's not the belief system. It's not my belief system, but it's another one. Okay? I believe in marriage, fact of sex. Some people believe, hey, as long as there's consent, it's okay. I believe gender is fixed. It's biological. It's binary. It's, God created, it's God's uh, creative order. It's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Some people don't believe that. Whatever you guys believe in the classroom, please respect each other. So Christians, Jews, Muslims, immigrants from Africa, immigrants from Asia, immigrants from Arabic lands, immigrants from Hispanic countries who all believe like we believe, when it comes to sex and gender, all of them do, okay? Respect the postmodern belief system in the classroom. Postmodern belief, b- believers, okay? Respect the religions and the cultures and the families in this classroom here. The answer is no. No. There's no mutual respect of belief systems. There's only one belief system allowed in that classroom under the name of diversity, which is the opposite of diversity. And that's the belief system that says gender is fluid, it's a spectrum. It's expressed in many ways. And every act of sex is normal, healthy, acceptable, as long as there's consent. As long as, as, long as there's consent. And if you believe anything else beyond that, you're hurtful, you're harmful, you're bigoted. You need to come out publicly and change and revise and rethink your beliefs according to sex and gender. So that's not diversity. You can have many, many views of God are allowed in our society. Many views of God are allowed in public school. But only one view of sex and gender is allowed in public school. And it's not ours, or, or Judaism's, or Islam's, or again, the immigrant communities and cultures of New Jersey. So when I speak to these legislators, I tell them, guys, I'm not trying to silence anyone's voice. I'm not trying to silence the voice of students who identify as LGBTQ. I don't want to silence their voice. I want to elevate everyone's voice. 
There's other students in that classroom who have come from families and cultures and traditions and beliefs that they also want to be accepted in that classroom. But with this curriculum, you're not making them feel accepted. You're making them feel ashamed for their belief system, shame for what they believe as Christians, shame for what they believe as Muslims, shame for what they believe from, again, African countries and Arabic countries and Asian countries. Only 15% of nations even legalize same-sex marriage. Only 15%. 28 countries out of 198 have legalized same-sex marriage. In other words, our biblical belief system is still the mainstream, contemporary, global view of sex and gender. We're not the extreme ones on the fringe. We're right in the middle of even the contemporary view around the world. And yet we're the ones that have to take a back seat in that classroom and our children feel uncomfortable and embarrassed speaking up what it is that they believe. And they're trying to build diversity to do the opposite of that. Next slide, here's a little uh, sample of how they could teach, you know, gender expression, gender identity to, to young students. Not saying this is the lesson. This is a PowerPoint from Gardens of Equality. That's their logo in the background. That's what they've given to parents at, at different parent information nights. But again, trying to go more and more younger and younger, teaching students a different, unbiblical view of gender identity and, uh, and, and biological sex. Now, I know Gardens of Equality has made lessons for this diversity law as well. Now, who's giving access to this advocacy group into the classroom is beyond me, but they're giving them access. So Garden State Equality developed lessons for second graders now. Again, you can download it online. I'll, I'll give your pastors the link. About marriage for second graders. And in this second grade lesson, they're telling these young students there's nothing morally wrong. Again, teaching morality. Nothing morally wrong with same-sex relationships. And they're trying to do that, obviously, because there might be children in the classroom who come from same-sex families at this point in society. But when you begin to teach a young child there's nothing morally wrong with a certain act, now all of a sudden you're infringing upon people's constitutional religious freedoms. For example, you can teach a Jewish student, okay, pork rolled and cheese sandwiches exist. Okay, they exist. You can't drive up down Route 9 without seeing a sign 299, pork roll and cheese. And coffee, they exist. But you can't tell the Jewish kid it's morally okay that you eat that pork roll and cheese sandwich because it's not for them. It's against their kosher law. So you can say something exists, but you can't teach the morality of it to the student. But when it comes to same-sex attractions, relationships, marriage, they're not only teaching they exist, they're teaching the moral framework and goodness of that existence and of that act. And that's where they cross the line. That's where they infringe upon your beliefs. It's one thing to say this is society as it is today. We can't run from it. Another thing to say, but your parents are wrong. And this is how you should think about this morally. That's the problem that's going on in public school. That's why we're so concerned and troubled as Christian parents. Next slide. Trans, uh, transgender uh, policy guidelines here in New Jersey. So just so you know, I'm not going to read that in detail, but kind of go into a little uh, underlying area. Parental consent is not required. So if a student is, is, identifies as a different gender than when he was born, okay, the, the, the school does not have to go to the parent and inform them of their child's new gender identity. I actually know of a second grade up in Patterson. Last year he was, he was first grade. But first grade boy, he thought he was a girl. So every day the teacher, who was a Christian teacher, would have to receive the kid from the mom as a boy, knowing once the mom leaves, he's becoming a girl now going in the girl's bathroom, and she cannot say anything to the mom who she talks to every morning about everything else. But she can't talk about that one subject because she'd lose her job. 
So there's a lot of Christian teachers, you may be here tonight, I don't know, a Christian teacher, who just are grieved in your conscience. How do you process this? How do you, how do you wrestle with your responsibilities now and your restrictions? And that's something that you need to decide through prayer and, and through pastoral you know, leadership on how to uh, deal with that. But it's not easy for Christian teachers when the school system is legally set up by law to deceive the parents. Imagine sending your kid, good morning, I mean, goodbye, Johnny. Goodbye, Mary. Go on the school bus. I'll see you at 3 o'clock. Literally putting them into a system that's set up by law to deceive you. That's not easy. That's uncomfortable. How do you trust the process? How do you trust the education system? How do you trust the school boards? How do you trust the principal when you know that you are considered an inconvenience to the agenda? It's very troubling. And yet they don't have to tell anybody. Now, next slide. So school districts should consult their board attorney regarding the minor student civil rights and protections under the New Jersey law against discrimination if the parent or the guardian objects to the school using the child's preferred gender identity. So let's say you go in there and you finally got aware that your child is a different gender in school and like, listen, I'm a little upset for the past three months You've been calling my child a different name. You've been identifying him as a different gender. I never knew about it. Listen, I'm not happy with this. I'm not comfortable with this. He is born as he is. God made him as he is. He is beautiful as he is. He is perfect as he is. I want him to be called Michael because he was born as Michael. And the child says, no, he may be, in the, he may be seven years old, literally seven years old, and say, no, I, don't, I want to be called Michelle. I want to be a girl. The school board is going to go with the child and not with the parent. And the last line is here, that if the parent continues to object this gender identity, tell the parent about the, the uh, New Jersey's policies about child abuse, neglect, and missing children. So if you don't affirm your seven-year-old's transgender dysphoria, they're going to push you into child abuse and neglect if you don't affirm it. That is scary. That is scary. Now, that's not child abuse yet. They won't take them away at this point, like in some countries in Europe might. But they're now already pushing parents into a fear-based, you know, discussion. Either affirm the child's gender dysphoria, possibly put them on cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers at an older age, or you're going to face child abuse and neglect. So that's very, very dangerous. That's where this is going. Parental rights are under constant assault in this new society. And as parents, we need to keep fighting for those rights. Next slide. Now, the sex ed learning standards. You know, like, can we just back up one second, the, the trend in the policy? I just want a quick background so we don't really think, you know, it's only one side of the aisle here. Okay? This whole thing started in 2016, okay, when President Obama gave out a dear colleague letter to, from his Department of Education federally about transgender guidelines. So, so 2017, okay, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2016, President Obama gave out the, this Dear Colleague letter to all school boards to begin to develop transgender student guidelines. So then in 2016, the New Jersey legislature developed a law to you know, have our DOE, our, our Department of Education, develop transgender guidelines like this. Then in 2017, President Trump came in and he rescinded that, that letter and rescinded that, that you know, um, direction for the, for the DOE. But Governor Chris Christie signed the law here in New Jersey mandating this. The reason this is law today is because Governor Chris Kissy signed, gave the DOE the power to make these guidelines. 
So then it was in 2018 is when Governor Murphy's DOE implemented the guidelines, but it was signed into law by Governor Christie. I said that because let's not just think it's only one side, okay? It's not as political as we think. We need to fight on both sides of the aisle. Believe me. Believe me. One side might be more friendly to our cause sometimes because they want us to turn out. But if you don't fight for your kids, believe me, they're not going to be on the front lines fighting for you. I'll tell them right now. You need to fight for your kids because they're your kids and you want your children back. Don't depend on politics or government to do it for you. You need to fight for your own kids. Amen? And next slide. Sex ed learning standards. So here's the new learning standards that were developed in 2021. 20, uh, they will be implemented in next year in 2022. So you can see in the fifth grade, there are a big emphasis on transgenderism again, much more than diversity, now really encouraging the students to consider different genders, uh, make them feel very, you know, um, to come out possibly as, as transgender. Then in the eighth grade, you focus on same-sex relationships, and yes, the new learning standard is defined and described vaginal, oral, and anal sex. Eighth graders. So let's discuss this here for a moment. When this first came aboard, when these learning standards were proposed to parents in uh, January, of, uh, January of 2020, before COVID, it was proposed, these, that language of those sex acts were not in the learning standards at all. Nowhere in the learning standards the parents had to actually look at and give public testimony to, and then the state DOE would go back and approve learning standards. They weren't even in there. Those words weren't even in there. So when the parents were first presented with this new learning standards, they didn't see this coming. But they still testified anyway, and I was there as well testifying January 2020 in Trenton about learning standards, just because we assumed things might be going in the wrong direction, but they weren't there as a, as a proposal. So 1,000 parents, or like 980, because I've got the list of all the testimonies that the DOE sent me after I requested public information, like 980 parents testified against all this sexual curriculum in the classrooms, not even knowing these things were, were going to be coming down the pike. There was so much public outcry against all this sexual ideology in the classrooms. They went, they took all these testimonies from parents, okay, and educators back, waited a few months later, then they came out with these learning standards. Like you just heard from like a thousand parents, not even seeing this yet, that they were against where this ideology is going in the classroom, and you come back and you publish something as final and adopted and approved like this? And that's because there's a group called Advocates for Youth. It's the largest LGBT um, educational group in America. And they're t talking to state DOEs across the nation. That if you only teach, okay, intercourse, like reproduction intercourse, then that's discriminatory. Because not every child in that classroom is going to have traditional intercourse. So you must teach every sex act to these children. Therefore, every sexual orientation is covered in that classroom, or you're discriminating. So now states are being threatened with financial litigation if they don't begin to teach multiple graphic sex acts to young children, all in the name of diversity and inclusion. That's what's going on. So there's so much pressure behind the scenes. And I gave this background so you realize, oh, so this is what's happening in society in our state. So you're not as, I guess, uh, uninformed as maybe some people uh, are on this issue. That's the pressure they're facing behind the scenes. So I actually spoke on a phone call, me and another person with the state coordinator at, in Trenton, for the DOE in Trenton, um, who's over health and, and, and physical education when these first came out, these learning standards. And we asked this man, I can't give his name, uh, but technically he's on the website, but I won't uh, give his name publicly, but go to the website. Uh, the DOE, 
but I was speaking to the man, and we asked him, well, how exactly are you going to describe this to eighth graders? Like, what exactly do they have to know? I mean, what, how are you going to teach them this? And we weren't trying to put him on the spot. We really wanted to know how in the world you begin to explain this to 12 and 13-year-olds. And I'll tell you, man, that poor guy, he didn't know what to say. He was so embarrassed on the telephone call. He was, uh, uh, well, you, you know, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know we, we, we know what this is. We don't have to talk about it. Excuse me, you know, here we are as adults on the telephone, and you won't talk about it. Why? Because you're embarrassed to talk about it. It's completely embarrassing to discuss it even as adults among three of us on a phone call. Imagine the 12-year-old and the 13-year-old sitting there in the classroom having to learn this. And if he's exempted because you took him out as an opt-out, but you have the right to do that, he gets reintroduced to his peers afterwards. They're only going to explain it probably even worse. But the thing is that why are they even discussing this? Right now, if there was a school teaching this to seniors 18 years old in New Jersey, they'd be, they'd be in violation. It's not taught this year in high school, even among seniors. But all of a sudden next year, 2022, is going down into middle school against public outcry. They know parents are not happy about it, and yet they're doing it anyway. When I actually was speaking to the state senator about these learning standards, I tried emailing them to a state senator like five times. He's in Morris County. Email it, rejection. Email it, rejection. I said, man, what's going on? Why am I email getting rejected to this guy's uh, you know, uh, email address? So I called him on the phone and said, you know, Senator, for some reason, I keep sending you the email of the learning standards. We had this conversation just a minute ago. I want you to see this, what I'm talking about, but it's not going through. Can, can you double check? He goes, I, I don't know. I'm right here at my computer. Send it again. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. Send it again. Wouldn't go through. Like, you know, Microsoft Outlook comes up. That kind of kicks back a little red email. Sorry, mail can't be delivered. That's so weird. I email this guy all the time. Then I realized something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I bet you it's because they put those words in the email. So I took the words out of the email. I simply attached the document. But I didn't actually put the words in the body of the email. Went through, no problem. Why? Because the government's own uh, servers in the legislature in Trenton, their own servers, computer servers, flagged their own learning standards as pornography. <laughs> Wouldn't allow their own learning standards to be delivered to the legislators. Once they remove the learning standards, I have no problem getting through the servers. What does it have to say about this type of material? If I can't email through your computer server, you shouldn't be teaching it to my 12-year-old. It's very simple. Very simple. But yet here we are battling for the hearts and the minds of the next generation. So next slide. So here's the 12th grade learning standards. This is just as troubling. So when they're in kindergarten now with the transgender diversity lessons, they're becoming sexually aware of LGBTQ. When they're in middle school, they're becoming allies of the LGBTQ community. We hear that a lot, allies, allies. So they're aware at kindergarten, allies by middle school. And by the time they leave 12th grade, they're becoming activists. Why? That first slide from Albert Moeller. The education system, the curriculum, you eventually control the direction of the culture. By 12th grade, your child needs to leave public high school advocating for uh, public policies and programs that promote you know, uh, gender expression, transgender identity, sexual orientations, and analyze current social issues affecting perceptions of sexuality, culture, ethnicity, disability status, and make recommendations to address those issues. So you're advocating, you're analyzing, you're addressing policies, programs, and perceptions of sexual orientation, gender identity in society. In other words, the Christian worldview is under attack by our own children by the time they leave the 12th grade. 
That's the goal of the entire curriculum, from kindergarten to 12th grade. Simply not teach them to be respectful or kind. Of course they should be respectful and kind. Of course they should love their peers and their classmates, whatever they may be struggling with. Of course, we love everybody who have their own struggles in life. Hey, we all need the gospel of grace to be saved through the power of Jesus Christ. There's no guilt or condemnation. It's not about loving or being kind. Of course we love and we're kind. But the point is that you cannot teach young children to confront and dismantle the biblical family, the biological, binary, creative order of God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then frame the rest of society like you and I as harmful and hurtful people because we believe the truth of sacred scripture. And that's what's going on in public high schools. Next slide. Then also a new change is abortion. Kind of add a little bit to this as well. Abortion used to be taught in New Jersey as a legal right for students. So you have the legal right to get an abortion. It's legal in New Jersey, and that's all they would really say about it. Now they're actually going to promote it as something students should consider, as well as pregnancy or adoption or a safe haven. Wherever a child is born and you don't want the newborn child, you can bring them to a police station, firehouse, drop them off. They'll take them. No questions asked if the child's less than 30 days old. You, they'll, they'll deal with it. You don't have to deal with it. Uh, young, young mom and young dad. But now they're actually going to teach abortion as something that you should consider. As a, as, a, as a viable option that should be on the table of all considerations. That's why, next slide, one of the DOE members, the State Board of Ed members, his name is Andy Mulvihill. Um, he says, I don't think teachers should be telling kids that one of the things you can do if you get pregnant is to have an abortion. There are a lot of people who fundamentally believe that is not something that should be taught. So again, he's actually on the State Board of Ed in Trenton. And uh, when these learning standards went through with the, you know, with the sex acts and the abortion and everything else, he voted no on the learning standards. And actually, there was nine people on the State Board of Ed. As usual, when there's a, a board of nine, five voted yes and four voted no. So all this we're seeing now, I just discussed these learning standards, it was a 5-4 vote. If one vote would have moved in the no direction, this thing would have even been uh, discussed tonight. But that one vote changed everything. That's how close these things continue to be in society. But he was very upset that now abortion is going to be taught to young people, not as a legal fact or, or you know, a right here in New Jersey, but you know, something that they should sit down and think about, possibly consider, if they find themselves in unwanted pregnancy. And that's new. That's above and beyond how it used to be presented in New Jersey schools. So who's behind all this? SexEdNJ.org. This is their website, not my website. So it's not a graphic website. It's a very professional, clean, corporate website. These are the coalition of groups that are really dictating sex ed policy here in New Jersey. And yes, the ones who are dictating these lessons in the classroom are abortion centers and LGBTQ advocacy groups. The very fact that abortion centers are teaching kids how to have sex in the first place is troubling. And then teaching abortion as, a, as a, you know, an option that should be considered, again, there's a lot of profit to be made here in how they're presenting this information to children. So I'd encourage you to go to sexednj.org because though they celebrated these new learning centers I just covered, they, they celebrated them, the press releases, they're online, you'll see it online how they celebrate these new learning standards. They said New Jersey still has not gone all the way yet. Even these new learning standards, as troubling as they just were, we have not met in their eyes the gold standard of sex ed yet. In the gold standard of sex ed, they want to teach second graders how to masturbate with each other. And kindergartens, how to do it all by themselves. 
I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not hyping this up. Okay, I'm not twisting information. Advocates for Youth has their own lessons published on their own website. So if you go to Advocates for Youth, type Advocates for Youth Sex Ed Lessons and just begin to do some research yourself. So they were, they were teaching stuff to eighth graders. They said, hey, we're moving in the right direction in New Jersey, but we have not met the gold standard yet. So never think this is the, this is the new normal. This is not the new normal yet. We're still fighting because their new normal is not what we're thinking. They're still pushing and pushing and imposing and imposing their ideology. So please check that out. Now, language arts books. So books in general. Okay, books have been introduced for years in New Jersey. If there was no curriculum law, if there was no learning standards for sex ed, if there was no diversity lessons, that, those three things didn't exist. We still had books. Language arts books. Okay, fiction books that children are assigned to read, either required or recommended or simply accessible in the school library. And a lot of these books are troubling. So you go online sometimes, you'll see on Fox News, some parent down in Virginia screaming out about certain books and she's reading the books and the school board's shutting her down. Please, you cannot say that. There's children present and you can't read this when children are present. She goes, but these are the books the children are reading. You ever see those types of videos? Well, some of those books are here in New Jersey as well. Again, but not in every school district. So what's in Barnegat or, or Southern Regional, wherever you might be coming from, you need to do your own research and find out what they're being assigned to read. The local school boards determine what books are made accessible to the kids. And we'll discuss in a moment what your rights are. You should be in the front lines in helping them decide what they should and should not approve. But here's some examples anyway. Book named George. George has been on the American Library Association's most challenged book list three years in a row. Most challenged book in America in 2019. From 2010 to 2020, it was the fifth most challenged book in the entire world. It's, it's called George. And yet it's in, it's in uh, some, not all, because nothing's all, in some school districts here in New Jersey. Uh, and it's for fifth graders. Fifth graders. And the book's about a boy who thinks he's a girl. Okay, he's about transgenderism. And the whole, well, the, one of the real problematic points of this is, in the book, okay, the, the transgender boy coming out as a girl to be, to be a girl in the school play, okay, he's the hero. He goes to his friend who's a girl, tries on her underwear. He's in the bathtub looking at his private parts, wishing he didn't have them. And the mom, who believes he's a boy, is the hero. I mean, is the villain in the book. You know, there's a villain hero in every book that's kind of the, the plot, the narrative, okay? So she's the one that's in the wrong. He's in the right. And he finally comes out as transgender, and all of a sudden his courage, and he's, he's awarded for being this courageous transgender boy coming out. So parents object to this a lot because they realize, as they see in this book, not only is it, you know, um, information age inappropriate at that level, it's the very fact that the parent is the, you know, the villain in the, in the plot, trying to keep her son, the boy that was born to her, and he, I mean, coming out as a girl wearing girls' underwear, is the hero. And there's so much other stuff, kind of detailed graphic stuff as well in there. But again, parents are very upset with that. And yet it was on a reading list, and I, I know in two school districts here in New Jersey. If it's in two, it's in more than two. Probably not all 600, but it's in more than two. So please keep an eye out for that. Next book is Fun Home. Here's a quote from the author. This quote is what the author said on a podcast. She said this, it's all about the power of images, which I think is something people need to talk about. I can understand why people wouldn't want their children to accidentally think this was a funny comic book and pick it up and see pictures of people having sex. I can understand that. I think banning books is the wrong approach. If you don't want your kids to read it, make sure they don't get a hold of it. But I do understand that concern because, yeah, drawings are very seductive and attention-catching. And what are those drawings? Very detailed illustrations of lesbian oral sex. 
And I don't mean like, I don't mean just like stick figures, guys. I mean very detailed illustrations. And then there's a t-shirt hanging on the wall while they're having this XXX. It's God is a terrorist. That's on the wall. Another sign says, you know, get your God off my body. And they're having graphic illustrations there. And yet it was required reading. Require, a required reading in school districts here in New Jersey. So we brought a lawsuit because the parents wanted this book out of the school system. And so parents gathered school board meetings. This is like four years ago now. This is before it became the big thing. You know, parents running out school boards. This is back when it was like a uh, novel to do that. And they were, and they're, they're testifying. They're mad. They got petitions going. And the school board did not want to take that book out of the school board, out of the, out of the uh, high school classroom. So they had a lawsuit. And the judge looked at it, and he said, well, you didn't follow proper procedure. You went to court first. You should have went to the DOE in Trenton. So lawsuits dismissed. Then we went to DOE in Trenton. I was there with the parents when we presented these illustrations to the DOE in Trenton. Here's the book that we're objecting to. We want it removed from the classroom. And, man, you should have seen their faces. Oh, it was priceless. They were so embarrassed. I mean, the women going through there, they were, they, were, they were turning red. They were angry. I mean, believe me, they're moms too, okay? They're moms too. And they were upset. The guy's kind of looking at this, you know, and he's like, we want this out of the classroom. How do we get it out of the classroom? Well, you got to file this, and you got to file that, and wait 60 days, and then we'll get you an answer. It's been two years. We're in a second lawsuit. It's still not out of the classroom yet because they realize something. If you take one book out of the classroom, there's a whole lot of other books that need to follow as well. So they hold their ground on every book because if that one book goes, many more have to go as well. And that's why they're so strong in keeping that in the classroom. And to this day, this book is still available. Now, it's no, no longer required. It's one of three books recommended. So you can choose two others. But many students, obviously, are going to be choosing the, the pornographic material in the classroom. Now, again... Um, Give back some more time, you know, but isn't this pornography, you know, to, to, to minors? I mean, isn't this a violation of, of, of law? I mean, I would agree with you 100%. I mean, the, the classic definition of, of obscene material, this more than exceeds that, that, that definition. That's what just on Friday, just two days ago, or yeah, two days ago, the governors of Texas and South Carolina both have now made uh, directions to their state, the Department of Education in both states, Texas and South Carolina, to investigate pornographic books in every school library in their state and to get rid of them in their state, Texas and South Carolina. Forcing New Jersey, we're going a different direction, but there is power in government to get these books out of the classroom. And the one book you hear a lot on Fox News, that one viral video that my mom's reading called Gender Queer, I don't have a picture of it tonight, but it's called Gender Queer Memoir. Um, that's one that's very graphic and detailing stuff and stuff I probably won't even read out loud. Um, that's also here in New Jersey. That's part of the summer reading list up in, I know, up in North Jersey. It's called Gender Queer, uh, a memoir. And then a book called Lawn Boy, Lawn Boy, like landscaper, Lawn Boy. If you look at the back of the book, it's about, an, uh, about a Mexican immigrant coming and in, in, uh, working in landscaping. It's like, well, that seems fine. But then the book is absolutely, absolutely, insanely obscene inside. I mean, pedophilia inside the book. So books like Fun Home, uh, Gender Queer, Lawn Boy, these books that, you know, um, they're, they're in these schools, they have, they've actually won Alex Awards. Alex Awards are certain awards given to books that the books are written for adults. If you go to the library in Ocean County, you'll find them in the adult section, the regular fiction section. You won't find them in the young adult section. They're written for adults, but they, are, they pique the interest of young adults. So that's an Alex Award. 
adult material that gets the interest of young adults. And they give authors these Alex Awards, and these books win the Alex Awards. But if you go to Ocean County Library, they'll be in the adult section, not in the young, not in the young adult section. But if you go to your school library, they're sitting there with the young adult material that's available to teenagers. That's so troubling. Why does the Ocean County Library have one standard, and yet the local school has a different standard for the same book? Very troubling. So I want to encourage you as parents, you need to find out what your kids are assigned to read, uh, or what they're required to read. You need to find out what is in your school library. Because many times, they're not going to assign books to your children. They only make them accessible to your children. And then they'll be able to read them without your knowledge or permission of what's going on in the classroom. And that, that really comes down to you as parents. So finally now, what can you do? What are your rights? Well, there's really a few things here. One, you have the right federally to review the curriculum. And there's a letter I gave to Pastor James, and we'll be able to make that available to you. You can print out this letter, edit the letter. These rights, that little footnote on the bottom, the federal law called FERPA, and um, the Protection of People's Rights Amendment, and Every Student's Seeds Act, all these federal laws, they give you these certain rights, and we've got them footnoted in a letter that you can now use for a school board meeting or to, to your principal. But know this, you have the right to review curriculum. Meaning you need to be you know, doing your due diligence to know what's coming up in the curriculum. You want to see the lessons and materials the school's going to use to fulfill these laws and these learning standards. You have the right to review them. Uh, now, if you want copies of them, they might charge you for copies, like physical copies. If you simply want to go into the school and look through the lessons, it won't cost you a dime. But even if you've got to pay for copies, what, 5, 10, 15 bucks, then you pay for copies, but you get the stuff to bring home. But you have the right to review the curriculum. And you have the right to review lesson plans. So you know when this lesson is going to be taught. Is it this Tuesday? Is it next Thursday? Is it, is it a month from now? What are the lesson plans? When are you teaching this lesson? Because you have the right to federally observe the classroom. You just can't show up like unannounced and say, hey, I'm here to observe the class. So I'm not going to let you in the front door of the school, most likely. But you make an appointment with the principal. Listen, when you teach this gender identity lesson, I want to be there. And so since it's going to be next Tuesday at 2 p.m. during this class, then I want access to the classroom that day. And they give you a hard time, you cite the federal law. And they say, give you a hard time, you contact Family Policy Alliance of New Jersey. You have the federal right to do that. Now, I know some school districts have been very accommodating to parents across the state. They understand the frustration and concerns. Some school districts have not been very accommodating to the parents. I'm not sure how your local school district will react to you being so involved in your child's education. You would think a parent involved in the kid's education is a good thing. But unfortunately, I'm going to warn you now, I'm not sure how they're going to respond to you being so involved in your child's education. But you have the right to do that. So please, take advantage of these rights. Two, when you go down uh, and you find out what's going on in these like, libraries and these books, you have the right you know, to tell the, the school board, I want these books out of the school library. And two, if you're not going to take them out, you should demand that they put a label on these books okay, for graphic content. Graphic content. Again, this is a, a right that a lot of school boards are are, um, you know, compromising with parents to do that. If they're not removing the book, at least they put down labels graphic content so teens will know it's, it's, it's not appropriate. That may be more, more attractive for most teens probably. But as parents, you know when that book is circulating, it may look real cute on the outside. But when you see that label, hey, what, what, is, what is that book? Because what happens. A lot of these books, they don't look like romance novels, okay? They look like kids' books. But the material inside is obscene. So when you see the book, you look at the back cover, well, that's right, it, it, it seems to be okay to me. But then inside, you don't realize there's obscene content in there. So those labels 
I mean, pros and cons, but as a parent, it's going to make you alert and aware. What is this book doing in my kid's you know, bed right now? You know, your kid goes to go to the bathroom, take a shower. You go inside his room, kind of see what's going on. Oh, I should do that? Yeah, you should do that. Check out what your kid is reading, and you find a book. And, you, hey, what is this? I need to check it out. Or simply find the book and go online and Google it. But I'm telling you, I've met kids in these presentations across a couple of years across the state, and they've told their parents in front of me, Mom and Dad, he's telling the truth. My, my teacher told us, listen, read this book, but don't tell your mom about it. And she was reading books that her mom never knew about. Some parents got upset because once they found out, their child was like, well, Mom, I don't want you to make a big deal out of it. So don't think your child is going to just tell you what they're reading. And if you ask your child, what is the book about? Don't think they're going to tell you everything the book's about. They don't want you to make a big deal out of it. I'm encouraging you, I'm urging you to do your due diligence. Go online, find out what the book is about. Go down to the school board, say, I don't want certain books here, and offer yourself as a volunteer, among other parents, can we please review the books that are in the library, and can we make recommendations on what should stay and what should go? And help the school to find the inappropriate books that are circulating among their students. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication. But I want to encourage you as a parent, you have rights to review it, you have rights to look at lesson plans, you have right to observe classrooms, and you have right to hold school board members accountable. Now, please, don't go down there to the school board meeting and terrorize or threaten school board members. Go down there with the love of Christ, with the truth of Christ, as a witness to Christ, and simply say, listen, this is inappropriate. I'm troubled. I'm concerned. There's many parents just like me. We do not want this material accessible to our children. And put that pressure on them. Believe me, they're getting a lot of pressure on the other side as well. A lot of pressure. So at the end of the day, vocally, verbally, publicly, we're probably the ones most putting pressure on the school boards. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of other pressure on the school boards not to back down on this issue. So understand that school board member on what they're trying to go through. And at the end of the day, run for school board and replace school board members who simply refuse to listen to the parents that they've been elected to serve. They've not been elected to serve advocacy groups. They've not been elected to serve national organizations. They've been elected to serve the parents of that community. So the parents' testimonies, the parents' um, you know, um, thoughts and beliefs should be held in high regard, not the behind-the-scenes pressure coming from other organizations. Final two slides, we'll do Q&A. Two books to download, one called Back to School. It's a 124-page manual, all free. It's a great book from the Family Policy Alliance, Focus in the Family, Heritage uh, Foundation as well, among a few others. It's a free book. It gives you a national picture of what's going on in public schools across America. Lots of facts, lots of charts, lots of footnotes. Again, I encourage you to download that. You, you see the big picture and what's going on. And finally, the Parent Resource Guide to Transgenderism. Again, very sensitive subject matter. And there is gender dysphoria. Kids and, and, and teens are completely... Um, really accelerating in this as of right now. I think Barna Research came out, or Pew Research, the last couple of weeks. 30% of, of 18 and 25-year-olds, 30% are identifying as LGBTQ, 30%. Well, just one generation ago, was 3 to 5%. So again, the more they push this in the classrooms and on social media and on TikTok, the more problems you're going to have. We believe in help, not harm. Help, not harm. If a child has gender dysphoria, we need to help them. We don't put them on puberty blockers. We don't put them on cross-sex hormones. 
the physical effects of those medications are irreversible. Even if they want to come back, their bodies have now been changed. Their voices have been changed. Their hair growth has been changed. Their bodies are being changed through those chemicals induced into their bodies. They're irreversible effects that we're putting 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds on very early because of their dysphoria. Uh, yet studies show if a child does not go on cross-sex hormones, does not grow on puberty blockers, 80 to 90% of all children with gender dysphoria will revert back to biological birth gender in their 20s. That's long-term studies from Europe. So just love them, coach them, keep them close to you. They'll get through this phase. They'll get through this, this uncertainty and this confusion. But don't put them on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. Don't put them for sex reassignment surgery. What are we going to do in 15, 20 years? We look back how America responded to this crisis we face today and how many lives were scarred and mutilated and harmed because of an ideology and agenda. And knowing the studies show, if you give the kids time, they're going to come out of it. They're going to come out of it. So we love them with the love of Christ. Amen. Let's do some Q&A. Yeah, we got some time left here. Um, if I didn't cover something, I apologize, but feel free to you know, ask a few questions here. We got 15, 20 minutes. I have a mic, and I'll come to you, and you can stand and ask your question. Anybody? Hello. I have a question when you were saying that we have the legal right to sit in on the classroom when sex ed is being taught. Do we also have the right to sit in on a classroom if our child is not in that grade yet or if it's not their class? Just yeah. to kind of see what to anticipate and be able to combat it before they get there. Sure. I, I get the question similar to that, or even grandparents want to know if they can sit in. I mean, unfortunately, unless your child is in the class, you, you can't have access to the class. Your child must be in that classroom with you. So the answer would, would be no. Yeah, only if your child is in the class. If you're a grandparent, the answer is no, unless you're the legal guardian of that child. But you have to be a parent or legal guardian of the child in the classroom to sit in. Thank yeah. you. Can no. I ask one more question? Also, do these laws also affect our private schools? They do not, no. It's only public schools. Now, there's a whole other issue with the Equality Act, how that would, you know, work in the things, but it may be too much detail tonight, like a federal legislation called the Equality Act, but as these state laws mandate, no, they do not affect private schools. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody else? Sean, can you put up that, I guess it would be the second or third to last slide, or James rather. The, that one there? Uh, it had to do with a PDF that you could download. Uh, oh. I don't know about other people, but I was trying to get a photo of it. <laughs> so the back to school one or the, the parent resource guide, Pastor James? That right oh, there. Okay. Hold, hold on. Yeah. And there really is a great booklet, by the way. And your rights are in there as well. All right, somebody else? Up front, oh, a couple guys up front. Oh. In regards to the uh, libraries with this, the list of uh, all the books they have, would it be more appropriate to do an OPA request to get that via email so you have the list and you can take it to a school board meeting or actually just go into the library and have them you know, search these books that you, you spoke about? Yeah, so I mean, every school board has a policy on how to challenge books 
you know, that's in, in, the, in the school library or being assigned to students. So I would go down to the school and say, hey, I want to know the catalog of what's in the school library and find out it doesn't give it to you or they make you, force you to fill out an open request. So some school boards, you know, are more than happy to share that with you. So what, what I've learned over the years is that each school board has their own policy on how they deal with parents concerning library books. So uh, go down and ask them what, what you should do. But you definitely have the right to, to look at that. So don't allow them to talk you out of it, but I'm not sure what the first step would be. But go down, obviously directly to the school, to the you know, front desk, find out what they want you to do before going to the school board. Yeah. Okay, somebody else? Over there. Hey, good evening, sir. My name is Cliff Jones from Southampton, and my son is in eighth grade, and we're in the verge of making the high school decision. Uh, one of the options is trade school, the uh, Institute of Technology in our township. Um, I'm, am I assuming that this same stuff would also be pushed down to those schools as well, even uh, though they're kind of separate? If, if it's a public school as a trade school, like a, like a vocational school, then yeah, it would be there as well. Yeah, how they uh, um, implement it, I'm not really sure, but again, it's where appropriate, but they're going to they have to meet certain learning standards for diversity and inclusion, so they're going to find a way to put that into the trade school as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, many of us are aware of what happened in Loudoun, Virginia. I think it was last summer. The rape of the, the girl with a boy going in there saying he was a girl. I'm just curious, are the children here in New Jersey potentially subject to that happening to them? Do they allow a boy that says he's a girl to go into the girls' restroom? Yes, absolutely. That, that's the transgender student guideline. So if he, and there's no medical diagnosis for this. So it's not like that child has to have gone to a psychiatrist or a therapist and been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, and so therefore they're letting him into the opposite sex bathroom or locker room. No medical you know, decision or diagnosis has to be made. He simply goes into the, the school, says, listen, I, I, I'm a girl, I want to be identified as a girl, I want to change my pronouns, and I want to use the girls' bathroom and locker room. The school has to give him access to do that, and not to the parent. Not only his parent, but the other parents of the other students, like another girl in that locker room. That parent had no idea that boy had access to that locker room. So under privacy laws for these students, no parent is told, not the parent of the child or other children in that classroom, and yet there's no official diagnosis that has to be made to give that child access. He simply comes in, claims a different pronoun and a gender identity. Now the school might be wise enough to kind of ask questions to see if he's really serious about it. But again, no medical professional has to actually diagnose this child with gender dysphoria. He simply asserts his gender identity to the school and has access to the, a girl's locker room and a girl's bathroom. Yep. I guess I have two more. Um, so are parents aware in New Jersey that if they have a daughter, that this could happen to their daughter? Are parents aware that that could occur? Do you know? Well, I don't think parents are as aware as they should be. I think most parents assume, you know, they either trust the system or two can never happen here, or I don't know any child in this school that may be doing that, like accessing opposite sex private changing spaces. I mean, the, the, the parent, I know students are doing that, but the parent. So maybe they're not as well informed or alert as they should be. But parents, please be clear. Okay, the, the, a child, a boy, can go into a girl's locker room on Monday, tomorrow, if he simply goes to school tomorrow and asserts his gender identity to the, to the school administrators. They have to respect his new pronoun, his new identity, um, and give him access. 
So you need to be on the front lines learning that, and you'll never know about it. So finally, does your guide, that downloadable PDF, does that give instructions for parents to consider to teach their daughters? Hey, if you see uh, a cross-dresser coming into your bathroom, of course you don't want to be mean, we want to be Christ-like, but do you give advice, suggestions like, hey, get out of there immediately, don't stick around, go to another bathroom or whatever. Did you give that kind of guidelines as to what in, to in, do? In, in that PDF? Well, it gives you how to talk about transgenderism with your child so they understand like, biblically what's going on. But I will say this, I know a situation here in New Jersey where the, it was in Princeton actually, in Princeton, New Jersey, very expensive school you know, system, very high taxes in Princeton. Actually, the family moved to Princeton from Florida because they're a well-affluent family to go to Princeton schools. And the 12-year-old girl all of a sudden had to share a locker room with a 12-year-old boy who was transgender. The 12-year-old girl said, Mom, I don't feel comfortable. And so the mom said to the school, listen, this is not fair to my daughter. She, has, she should not be forced to change her clothes in front of this boy, nor have to see the boy changing his clothes. And the school said, okay, we have options for your daughter. Either she can use the nurse's changing room, you know, um, or she could, um, uh, you know, um, wait till after everyone leaves the locker room and then change. But that boy's not leaving that girl's locker room. So they're actually kicking girls out of the girl's locker room and giving boys a priority in the girl's locker room. In Princeton, New Jersey, spoke to mom. I encouraged the litigation. We were going to walk her through that, do a pro bono. But again, you do that, you get the heat of society for challenging the, you know, that, that, that policy. So the parent back down went to private school for her daughter to have peace about you know, cl uh, class again. But once again, the public school gave the transgender boy priority and the right to be in the female locker room and made the female leave the locker room and go to a nurse's office. Why couldn't the transgender boy use the nurse's office as a compromise, as a solution? Why push the girl out of a girl's changing space? Sad. Oh. <laughs> Hi. In the beginning, you mentioned that most of the world agrees with our biblical ideas of marriage and sex and those types of things. So here in New Jersey, are you able to see like what percentage of the population is actually pushing this agenda, do you think? Oh, it's definitely the minority. Definitely the minority of the population. I, I know this. I deal with a lot, for Fan Policy Alliance, I've dealt with a lot of immigrant communities from Egypt. Oh, my goodness, the, the immigrants from Egypt, the Coptic Christians. Oh, thank God for the Coptic Christians that come to, to America for many reasons. Side story. You know, I love stories here. So these Coptic Christians are in the front lines defending your children. Okay, they've written 30,000 letters to the governor. They go to school board meetings. They go to Trenton. They are turning out with fire defending their kids, our kids in a sense, because we're all on the same team here. They said, Sean, I don't understand you American Christians. They literally said this to me. It was a mom. It was like a 35-year-old mom telling me this at St. Mary's Coptic Church in East Brunswick in the basement during a presentation. So I don't understand you American Christians. You're so afraid to be called names. We come from Egypt. Names is the least thing we're about being called. We, we left it because of ISIS and persecution. And here we are defending our kids. And where, where are the other churches? And I said, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I apologize for that. You know, and I, I'm telling you, man, these guys come from real persecution. They're not afraid to get pushed back by a minority of people who are trying to impose their ideology on their kids. They face real persecution in these countries as American Christians we need to look at them and see you know what we can learn something from these communities. They understand what it is to be the minority voice, and in their country, they have no political voice. In this country, they do have one, because here you have a political voice in America. 
and they are using their political voice on this issue. And I encourage all of us to, to, to actually do the same. Um, the Hispanic community, amazingly on our side. I mean, they, obviously the majority of letters that were sent to the, to the legislature has been Egyptian immigrants and Hispanic immigrants. The white evangelical church, brother, I'm not part of it. I'm not being critical of us. I'm just saying I couldn't get a big mobilization effort like I could in the Hispanic and, and immigrant communities because they come from cultural conservative backgrounds. I had to deal with the North Jersey Islamic Society, talking to their iman. Again, that's uncomfortable for me. That's a, I'm not used to those relationships in my previous background in ministry. But they're not happy with this material in the public school classroom. So we are on the majority opinion on this issue. So don't allow yourself going down to school board or speaking to teachers somehow seem intimidating, like, like somehow you're wrong for saying this. You're not. There are millions and millions of parents right here in New Jersey who feel just the way that you feel and believe like, believe like you believe. So don't be afraid to say something. We are in the majority opinion on this. Sorry for the long-winded answer. Yeah, another quick question. Um, so if we want to be part of this change you talk about, it begins with us, some of us to consider running for the Board of Education. Does a Board of Education have more power as to what's being taught in the schools as opposed to what is dictated and or mandated from the state legislature from Trenton? Yeah, so, so great question. So this, this, is the, this is the tension. This is the tension here. That's, that's the, a great question. So you have these laws that are made, and laws are very few and far, educational laws. Most of these things are just learning standards that the bureaucrats on the, in the DOE uh, make up themselves. Um, unelected, unaccountable, unnamed government state workers make up these learning standards. Um, these, so that's the majority of stuff that's in public school are learning standards, not laws. Uh, so when these laws are made, okay, the school board has to fulfill them as well as the learning standards, or they might lose tax money, you know, the tax support from the state government. Uh, now, will the state actually investigate every local school district on what they're actually teaching? Probably not, unless they get report that something's not happening, but there's no way they can audit every single school district every single year and what's being taught. So a lot of it just comes through policies and procedures and, and whatnot. So school boards can push back on the state. I know Tom's River Schools has just pushed back on the state Department of Education on these diversity lessons in kindergarten for transgenderism. So they actually push back as a school board writing a letter. There are school boards who push back for the mask mandates, you know, for the classrooms being shut down. They can push back on this as well, on these curriculum issues. At the end of the day, though, they have to fulfill the learning standards and laws or they might lose state funding. So there is pressure. Now, will local communities say, you know what, lose the funding, we don't care, we'll pay more in local taxes to make up for it? I don't know, I'm not saying that's what you're going to say, uh, just, but they're under a lot of pressure. And so do they have to fulfill them? Yes, but can they push back? They should. And if more school boards push back, so like, there's a movement from the ground up. Parents turn out, pressure on school boards, school boards push up to their uh, administrators and the, the state BOE, then maybe change will happen at the, you know, at the Department of Education. If you simply go to top, top, top only, it's a lot harder to make that change. And so the local level is where it all really begins at the local level. I will say this, your legislators here, um, Assemblywoman Diane Gove and Assemblyman Brian Rumpf, they actually introduced and sponsored legislation as a resolution to oppose the sex ed learning standards. Literally telling the DOE, listen, go back, redraw, redraft the standards. This is age inappropriate. It shouldn't be in the classroom. You have to go fix the learning standards. That, they actually were one of the, the co-sponsors of that resolution. It's been sponsored by maybe eight or ten people right now the past few months. Obviously, it was a 
uh, dead season during, during the summer, you know, with elections going on, they're just getting back to the office now after election work, but your legislators here did introduce a, a resolution condemning these texts to the learning standards. So if you see them, if you know them, you call their office, please thank them for that. Mm -hmm. right, right back there. All right, time for one more. Mm -hmm. oh, two more, we'll do two more. Quick question. What if you work in a school system? Um, what can you do to make a change? What can, like, have administrators been speaking out about this, other than teachers, have supervisors of education or superintendents? What have, have you been um, hearing or what is your feedback on those in those positions, principals, um, guidance counselors? Yeah, so I've had a lot of Christian teachers come to me and say, what can I do? You know, do I have to even teach some of this? Um, as a Christian teacher, and I'll give you a couple of answers here. Uh, one is that they can't force you to use transgender pronouns um, because that's a compelled speech. There's been court cases already decided in other states, not here in New Jersey, but other states. They can't compel you to use transgender pronouns against your religious beliefs. So you don't have to necessarily do that. Um, however, everything else you're pretty much obligated to do. So what I've told Christian teachers is, or administrators, talk to your you know, um, boss, supervisor, about how you feel about teaching this or having to deal with this information in school. Some teachers, because they've been there for 30 years, they've spoken to their principal, he's, and, he, and he was very understanding to their, you know, uh, uh, conscience and, and, and the problem in teaching this, and he actually let them go. I mean, he let them not teach the lesson. Like, he'd bring a substitute for them. He worked with the teacher. Um, some principals were like, you got to do it. And so, again, everything is so local and so personal. So I do know there are Christian educators, administrators who are speaking up against it, not in a vocal way, but in a personal way. What can I do to avoid my conscience being hurt by teaching this? You might find favor in the eyes of your supervisor, and they'll find a solution to you, um, or you might not. But I would encourage you to have that conversation, because I've had no, I have heard of numerous teachers who have been able not to teach this material uh, because the supervisor understood their actual belief system. But legally, you have to do it. It has to be a personal you know, uh, decision. Um, my kids, I pulled out of public school and put them into private school specifically for this reason, because I knew it was up and coming before. But I actually ran for and was elected to my public school board. I'm getting sworn in in January. Good job. Um, and so right now I'm digging into bylaws and policies and curriculum, but do you have any words of advice for me or encouragement or anything that I can just be on my toes when I get go in January? Well, I would just say when you're reading um, policies and, 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 got, and like learning standards, the, the words that they use seem so innocent and so intellectual and so academic, but when you begin to drill down, understand what they mean, it's, much, it's very different than what they're saying. So when you're reading stuff, it might seem, well, I don't see the, the problem here. Make sure you find out what the, the lessons are. So that's as a school board member, I think that's the biggest thing is really going seeing hands-on what's being taught in the classroom. Because at the surface level, it doesn't seem too, uh, I guess, inappropriate. You know, it, the words seem very much, you know, uh, normal and, and healthy and, and acceptable. But when you begin to see what they're teaching, it's different. So I would just... I would just ask a lot more questions because I think a lot of people in the school board, they're going to try to, you know, um, not be so clear with you on know, what's going on. Uh, some of them will be. So I would just, you know, keep investigating a lot. Yeah. All right. I think you'll agree that this was a very informative and helpful time. Let's thank Sean for being here.